my longest ad ever. Love it. It's going to be more of a story, I think. Is there interaction, or are you just... No. It's just you. Yeah. Okay. Might take a couple yeah, runs. Yeah. What you going to do? Today's episode of Atlanta Zone is brought to you by Arctic Coolers. If you're one of those people that think a cooler is just a cooler and that you could, should just go buy the 1999 blue cooler from Kroger because it'll do the same job as one of those fancy and expensive coolers, well, then you're wrong. And I should know because I've been one of those people my whole life. But that changed as soon as I took that blue rolling 1999 cooler. By 1999, I mean $19.99. Uh, I took it camping and almost lost two T-bone steaks because the ice couldn't keep them cold enough, along with my ice-cold crispy boys that were in there. After that fiasco, I purchased the 65-quart Arctic Cooler. For those not familiar, it's similar to a Yeti, but half the price and with superior rope handles for lugging that bad boy around. I used it for the first time this past weekend on a bachelor party, and all it took was one single bag of ice to not only keep our crispy boys ice cold, but to also cool down the warm crispy boys that had to be thrown in the cooler throughout the entire weekend. It was a big hit with the boys who needed their crispy boys ice cold, and now an official sponsor of Atlanta's own, Arctic Coolers. That's R-T-I-C. Let's start the show. What's up, Atlanta sports fans? My name is Graham Waldrop, and alongside me, as always, is Adam Kalal, and we are Atlanta Zone. Two Atlanta natives recapping the week that was in Atlanta professional sports, the wacky-ass hijinks, and analysis. Adam, how fucking pumped are you, sir? I am doing very well. And also, Graham, I'm even happier, despite all this great news we got going on in Atlanta sports. I just recalled a story from this bachelor party I was on this past weekend. Mm. And you and I got some feedback for, on the podcast. Oh, really? Yeah, it was very, very useful feedback. Useful feedback. It was constructive criticism? Very constructive, yes. So it was from... But there was criticism. Yes, it was criticism. <laughs> it was from Drew Roach, who has listened to our podcast for all of like 10 minutes, I think. It was that bad he shut it off? And here was his... Analysis? Criticism. Yeah. He wants us to be better. He said he was listening to it and it was fine, but he just thought it could be better. He's, he, I think his main qualm was that not of all of our stats are verifiable. But mainly, we just need to be better. We so I, be better. I, th- I think we should take that to heart. Yeah, we got to make sure that we can get better. <laughs> and how we do that, I think, is up to us. Well, we put the table up. The mic is a little higher this week. Right. We're not hunching over a, a table like some old women at a retirement home. So I think that's how we get better, Graham. Yeah. I so, feel a lot more comfortable now. Yeah. So, Drew, thank you for that feedback. And, uh, yeah, we took it to heart, man. Yeah. But besides that, I'm doing great, Graham. This is the most fun I've had watching Atlanta sports in quite some time. I agree. Uh, yeah, today is May 3rd, 2018. The Braves are, what, 19-11? In first place in the National League East, destroying their foes. Atlanta United is on fire. Won another game 4-1 to one on Saturday. I think they're, what, 
top two in the in the Eastern or uh, Southeastern Conference, whatever it is they 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 uh, do at MLS. I think uh, they're in the ACC, actually. ACC. Sorry, my bad, yeah. of course. They're in Atlanta. Right, <laughs> right. the ACC. Uh, so you got them, and then you have Falcons had uh, their big draft, yep. which a lot of people are reacting to positively and negatively, as, as always. And uh, Matty Ice just got his deal done yep. today. Yep. And we're going to talk about that as well. And I think the Hawks will finally be forgotten about in this episode. No, it's actually a, a big week for Hawks. Oh, was it now? Yeah, big week for Hawks. Oh, okay. I, uh, Please inform me. I came across a hawk in a parking garage the oh, other shit. day that was in the process of killing and eating a pigeon. Damn, doing work. Yeah, like he. There's no one else there but me and the hawk and the dying pigeon. Straight cannibalism. And the hawk just stared at me, and I walked away. I was like, "This is yours, buddy. You it's go. a big win for you." Did he go? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Best thing that's happened to hawks. All year. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, uh, you know, I wasn't aware of that victory by the Hawks this week, and I'm glad I'm glad that you told me about it because I, that makes you just proud as, Atlanta, as an Atlantan to see your team go out and, and, and cannibalize another member of its species. Yeah, we're, I'm remaining true. Is that not there? Yeah, they, that, that is fucking true to Atlanta yeah, right there. Yeah, exactly. If nothing else is eating someone else in a uh, parking lot. So, good on them. Yes. Uh so jumping into today's episode, let's start with the Braves. As we mentioned, 19 and 11, first place in the National League East, destroyed the New York Mets today, 11 to nothing, in a getaway day game. Outscored them 21 to two over the course of three games. We had lights out pitching from one Mike Soroka, who made his major league debut. Sean Newcomb went seven strong innings, and Julio Tehran took a no hitter into the seventh today. It um, would have been a no hitter had Fox Sports South not flashed. On the bottom of their screen, no hitter through six and two thirds. I'm, like, I'm sure. Uh, who does that? I'm sure. Chip Carey said something as well. Oh yeah, he was talking about it since like the third inning, probably from the first pitch. Well, that's a no no hitter for Julio so far. <laughs> perfect through one batter. Yep. Uh, but goddamn, I, I I can't find really anything to pick apart with this team right now. Everything is clicking. Everyone is rolling. One of the things I'm, I was really interested about, when we were sort of like you know winning, you know we we won so many series was. We can't get really on a, on a streak of any kind. We haven't been on a bad losing streak. We haven't really been on a great winning streak, but we're still winning series. And over the course of a season, really, you know, to the good baseball teams, both things happen. You'll get on a hot streak. You win 8 of 10, 10 of 12, something like that. You also go on a, on a, on a bad losing streak. You're going to lose 7 of 10, 8 of 10. I think we're in the midst of one of those hot streaks right now after the Braves have won five in a row. Yeah, and I mean – like we've been, we've just been doing the Bobby Cox mantra: just win two out of three, and you're going to be in the playoffs. But yeah, yeah getting the sweep over the Mets was huge. We right. embarrassed them. Yeah, I mean, the only game that was really close was the uh, was the first one. Yeah, against Cindergard, where we won three to two, and the fact that we put up three on Cindy before he could even get an out, unbelievable that this team just goes up there, no fear, no qualms, youngest team in baseball. Two guys who are 20 years old, or 20 and 21 years old, leading off uh, the top of the order. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. We're just going out there and destroying everything they see. Well, we got Mr. Brian Sabermetrics Snitker with this new lineup he threw out there. I, that is, I, I get it. I see the light. Yeah, no, I think, I think I've always been an old school baseball guy until this past week. I like the lineup, and there are parts of me that don't like the lineup. The thing I love about it is... A, uh, Albies and Acuna, the top of the order. I think that's great. You got the guy who's getting on, you know, who has the most extra base hits in base or in the National League right now at the top of your order, getting on base, 
generating runs. And then you have Acuna as well, who's just an all-around monster. Can also steal bases, gets on base at a high clip, is crushing the ball. Even when he's not hitting home runs, he's absolutely crushing the ball, uh, getting a lot of doubles. And it's just kind of like that. I love that. I think that's a perfect place to put those two guys. The thing I don't like is Ender at nine. You don't, huh? No, it's been a, it's been a trade-off, right? Because we've had some situations when the switch has happened where it's been like, oh, shit, you know, the seventh guy in the order. You, you know, Dan's, Dan's on second, but now the pitcher's out, and the pitcher weekly grounds out. Then you've had other times when it's like, okay, when well, Ender gets on base to start an ending, and now Ozzy's able to drive right. him in. I mean, so it's, it's a little bit of a give and take. But I think also, at the end of the day, I don't like that the pitcher gets more at-bats than Ender. Or has a better chance to get more at-bats than Ender. I don't like that. Right, but it did seem like there were so many times with Ender on base in front of those guys. Yeah, no, I think it's working out. I just think long-term, I don't know if that's the right fit, but I think long-term having um, Ozzy and Acuna 1-2 is great. I don't really think I... I don't really think I need to put Acuna four right now because Marquecas is doing such a great job in the four hole. Yeah, Marquecas is, I mean, that's been a qualm people have had. It's like, oh, when we traded him, why do we sign him? Why is he hitting cleanup? The man has a better war than Bryce Harper right now, Graham. Which is crazy. Like, you throwing out the war stat. <laughs> he is, I'm telling you, I'm embracing sabermetrics now. Uh, thanks to Brian Snicker. All right. Yeah. Most analytic uh, base guy we know. Yep. Um, I mean, he's all over the place. He's got five home runs mm-hmm. already. He's got more home runs than Freddie. Yeah, which is nuts. And one thing, uh, I can't remember who wrote it. I think it was Eric Cole on Talking Chop wrote a great article about how Marcakis has altered, maybe not consciously, maybe he has, who knows, but his launch angle in terms of where he's hitting the ball is much better than it was in prior years. He's not just hitting the ball into the ground. It's not in the hole anymore. He's hitting the ball. It's like line drives that are going over the shortstop's head. Now. Yeah. And that's created a big difference in terms of him getting more base hits now and also hitting more home runs. So uh, whatever he's doing, man, he looks like an absolute monster out there. I mean, when he comes up in the four hole, I'm like, it's fucking, yep. it's fucking cakey, man. Drive Let's him do in. It. Do Drive it. him in, yeah. Like today, he just comes up. It's like first pitch. He just laces it down it's into the right field corner for a double. I mean, the, the, the confidence this team is playing with is amazing. Here's another sabermetrics item that I wanted to discuss with you. Because mm-hmm. a couple of weeks ago, you were getting on pretty much the entire team for not walking enough, yeah, right? Right. Um, the way someone voiced it was with this team – like Braves teams in the past, their goal was to get deep into counts, right. wear out the starting pitcher, yep. get into the bullpen. Right. But shouldn't the goal be if you have a pitch to hit, go after it? And sure. That's what this team's doing. Right. And I, I yeah. So no, that's why they're, I mean, that's I why think, see so many first pitch hits. Right. I think conversely, right, with the way the game has changed. Since you know, since we were growing up in the '90s, you don't want to really get into the bullpen because you're getting three or four guys. Yeah, every bullpen's coming, nasty. Yeah, you're getting three or four guys that are coming in. They're throwing 100 miles an hour, yeah. or 95, and with a nasty hook or something, right. or, or devastating changeup. And it's like, no, let's. Uh, you, you don't know, have Tim Spooniebarger coming out of there anymore. Exactly. So it's kind of like you know, you can still work the count against a, against the pitch against a starting pitcher, but if you get your pitch to hit, fucking destroy it. Yeah. You know, uh, and I think that. Even though on-base percentage is still not where I want it to be, I, can't, I don't really care because we're generating so many runs. Who gives a shit? Like, I'm almost 
prepared to say fuck walks at this point. The approach is working. Yep. And we're seeing it's been a month now, and we're having sustained success, and it's only getting better and since what, we've gotten Acuna up here. What I love is that it's these guys are picking each other up. So, mm-hmm. like, the day we score seven against the Phillies, I think Freddie was 0 for 4. And then the next night we score – I don't even, I can't even keep track of it, but I remember it was, like, last night when Acuna and Albies were 0 for 10. Mm-hmm. But then Freddie and Nick each had, like, two or three hits apiece. Right. And Flaherty steps in there still. Yeah, Flaherty's still the producing. The man can't die. I mean, Flaherty's still producing. He hit a home run. Him and Camargo hit home runs yep. yesterday. Uh, you know, everywhere you look, there's a new hero, and that's and you're exactly right. Everybody's picking each other up when someone has an off day. This ne- there hasn't been a systemic, you know, a, a game where there's been a systemic or a series really. I'll, I'll say a series where there's been a systemic failure by the offense yet to produce runs. And what I'm excited to see is this series on um, Monday, first time playing in an American League ballpark, and I'm, I'm guessing Preston Tucker is our DH now. Sure, I mean that lineup's going to be even deeper. Right. You get another bat in there, and even he's, you know, the thing I've really liked about the bench since Acuna came up is, like, and Camargo's been playing more, has been, you know, you can turn to a Flaherty as in a pinch hit situation or a Preston Tucker and feel pretty good. I think Tucker got a double last night when he was pinch hitting, and his approach to the play has been fine since he uh, was demoted. It was t- today, the last game of the Mets series, he had a 10-pitch at bat off the bench and then laced a double off the wall that was almost a home run. Tremendous. unbelievable. Yeah. Um, Acuna had, had his second home run today. It was just a, a shot. It was great. I was on the phone with our uh, our director of engineering. I was having a at Atlanta Zone. Yeah, you know, talking to uh, Jordan of Atlanta Zone. You know, we're discussing some strategy in terms of improving the sound quality. Sure. And I, I, you know, I have the game on in the background, and I see this. You know, Jason Vargas throwing a meatball there, and Acuna just <laughs> destroys it. Another like upper deck shot. I mean, yeah. you just you just. Every time that man hits a home run, all thought exits your mind. It's just it's just a moment of such... By sub- every time, you mean both times? Both times. It's such sublime beauty. It just takes your breath away. You just can't, you can't comprehend reality at that point. Yeah, I liked hearing Jose Reyes talking about him today. Did you see his boner of an uh, attempted catch in foul ground? No. It was hilarious. So someone hits a pretty... It wasn't an uh, easy play, but it's over toward foul ground, and he's just running towards it. And he's clearly got enough room before he gets to the... Uh, he's, like, right on the warning track and foul ground on the third base side. He just messes it and runs into the net. And you see this Mets fan in slow motion when they replay. He just goes, oh, come on! <laughs> he's yelling at him. That's great. It's fantastic. What do you say? But, uh, so he was talking about Acuna because Reyes played with Ronald Acuna's dad. Oh, yeah. In the Senior. minors. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, but he was just talking about how he's like, this... Looking at him, it seems like he's been up here for four or five years now. Like, hasn't even been a week. Yeah, he no. just, like we said multiple times, he just looks like he belongs. He's, but he's poised as hell. To hear from a guy like Reyes, who's ten year vet, right? Pretty cool. Yeah, I mean Acuna. You look at the numbers: three eighty two average, four thirty two on base, six twenty one slugging. Obviously, you know this will come down a little bit over time, but you got to be impressed. And yeah, the composure the young man shows is great. And one thing I'm really excited to see. And I wish I could go to the game on Friday. I'm going to try to go with you the game on Sunday. I'll be out of town on Friday. Is the as I really hope that Atlanta and Cobb County and wherever else you're coming from, Tennessee, North Carolina, South Carolina, well, Braves country in general, embraces this young team and shows them appreciation for the effort they have shown thus far this year. And I expect massive crowds at SunTrust Park Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Hell yeah, brother. 
and let's get after it. Let's show these fuckers that we're ready to rock. No, I, I think it's going to be loud as shit. Yeah, because it, it needs to be. Like this, if you're not excited by this team, you're either not a baseball fan or you're dead. That's, that's, there's no in-between. <laughs> um, or you're a Phillies fan or a fan of another team. Oh, I just mean if you live here. And, and and you well, there's like a lot of transplants in the city. Of course, there are. Yeah. yeah. So, right. like, even if you even if you you, you don't like the, I mean, you, you could turn on this game. Anyone can turn on this game who's a moderate sports fan and watch this team and just be blown away by the offensive explosion. The pitching staff has been tremendous. Sean Newcomb and his start last night against the Mets. I was just so impressed by his usage of the fastball. He was jamming guys on the inside corner. And then he was elevating pitches out of the zone. He would get in front of guys and elevate pitches out of the zone on one and two. And just, he just mowed fuckers down. That was the best start I've ever well, seen him the, have. The beauty of this is they're starting to rub off on each other now. Like, Soroka, like, I mean, he's pounding the zone, man. Yeah. He had, like, what, 80 pitches through six innings? Yeah. I and think, he kind of led the way for this series because then Newcomb did the same damn thing. Yeah, Newcomb did a great job. Um, he had 70 strikes on 97 pitches. That's awesome. Yeah, and... And a lot of those strikes came from what would have been balls, but they were close enough to threaten the zone. Yeah. And that's exactly what you want to do. You want to get ahead of guys, threaten the zone with pitches that are borderline or might be a little out of the zone for them to reach, and that's exactly what he did. And all these guys are showing that you don't have to throw 96-97 to be successful in this league. Right. And Greg Maddox, maybe you've heard of him? Yeah. Command of a, of a saint. Yeah. But uh, one thing I was a little concerned with with Soroka was there's a lot of pitches in the middle of the plate. He threw a lot of strikes, but... His defense bailed him out a little bit, I think. Overall, he was still really great. And for a first start, that was awesome. And you saw the potential. You saw him use all five of his pitches really well. That's something the Sky Reports love about Soroka is um, he has five pitches. But a lot of times when a pitcher has five pitches, you know, he's only good at like two of them, maybe three if he's lucky. The other two are just sort of arbitrary. You know, we'll, we'll keep a guy off balance. But he has good command over all his pitches. And it was really exciting to see that. He's got a lot of slow rollers throwing balls on the outside corner, inducing weak contact. Uh, it was good to see. But he did get – there were a couple of times when they were really smacking the ball off him. But it was nothing sustained. It was just like that would happen for one at bat, and then he'd rebound and, and induce a double play or get a little smarter with his pitch selection. So I really hope he stays up here, though. I really hope he stays up here. No disrespect to Anibal Sanchez, but Anibal – you know, I don't give a shit about Anibal. The future is now. And yeah, like Soroka's my prediction, you got to remember, Anibal started this year as our long reliever. Right. And I think he goes back to that role. Yeah, definitely, definitely keep him on the team. And then if someone gets hurt, he can jump there. there. See, yeah. this is something we're not used to here in Atlanta. We have depth. Yeah. All, all over the place. Yes. On the bench and in the bullpen. It's, it's and, and the beautiful. rotation. Yeah. A little advice for everyone out there. If you wanted, if you're looking for something really entertaining to do, either during a game or after a game, the past couple nights I went to Mets Twitter, mm. and hearing, like reading, the Mets fans' reactions to what we were doing to the Mets, brought me so much joy. So just the official Mets Twitter feed fans commenting. Well, yeah, just tweet. No, just like I just searched on the Twitter yeah. uh, Mets. Right. And then it's all the people just right. tweeting about how god-awful the Mets are sure. and how their season's over yeah. and Harvey this and... Harvey in the bullpen now. Yeah, they hate um, whoever the hell their GM is now for not getting a real catcher in here. And it, it made me so happy. I was like, we have, in their eyes, we are greater than them now. Yes, they, are, they, they, they fear us. Yes. Everyone should fear this team right now. And I'm not even going to get to the point where I'm talking about, oh, is it sustainable? I don't give a shit anymore. Is it sustainable? Whatever. I'm enjoying it. 
and let's fucking rock. There's no reason it's not sustainable at this point. Right, because if you start... You watch them. And if you start thinking about it, it takes the, the fun out of it. And we haven't had enough fun in this town with baseball in, in five years or so. And even longer by, by some other measures. Which is actually... I know you have something you want to say, but what you just said was a perfect segue hmm. into our newest segment that I wanted to try out this week. Oh, okay. It's called This Day... In the Braves rebuild. Ah. So what we right. do is we're going to go back. So today is May 3rd. All right, Graham, so pull out your laptop, and let's look at the box score for today's date, May 3rd, in 2016. So the point of this segment is just, A, so we can appreciate the players we have on this team now. And also, we got to stay humble, Graham. Can't get too caught up. You could get back to something like this real quick. Sure. So let's look at this game. We got the Braves versus Mets. The 7-19 Braves versus the 16-9 Mets. At City Field. At City Field. And we actually won. 3 to nothing. 3 nothing. Was this before or after Freddy Gonzalez was fired is the question. That is a good question. Not 100% sure. I think it was because if you'll notice, we have Malik Smith batting ninth, which... I don't think Snit had done that until now. No, probably not. Probably not. But let's just read some of these names that we got here. Yep. Graham, you want to take it away? Yeah, so uh, in right field, leading off for your Atlanta Braves, number 22, Nick Markakis. Stud. But that, it, was, it wasn't a stud back then. Batting second for your Atlanta Braves. In left field, number 13, Adonis Garcia. Unbelievably shitty. Batting third, number five, Freddie Freeman. Classic two for four there. Two for four. Solid. Probably with a single and a double. Yeah. <laughs> Batting fifth, baby brave, now senior brave, number 24, playing second base, Kelly Johnson. Glad we're past that. Batting sixth, also former baby brave, now senior citizen, number 18, big ass bust, Jeff Francoeur. Well, I don't, not big ass bust, but wasn't the franchise player. We all no, he was not. This is true. This next guy is a franchise player. Oh yeah, totally. Batting seventh, number fifteen, old man, nineties legend, AJ Pierzynski. Two for four. This is the year he actually had an RBI. Yeah, he hit over three hundred. I think the whole year. Yeah. Batting eighth or seventh. There were so many pinch hitters this game. Number four, Reed Brignac. I recognize the name. But yeah, I don't remember him. If he walked in this room and slapped you in the face, I would be like, who the fuck was that guy? Yeah, what's his deal? Yeah. This oh, guy. Oh, I hated this fucker. Batting forever in hell. Number one, Eric Ibar, shortstop. Number that would be one. the Andrelton Simmons trade, of course. <laughs> and batting ninth, number 17. Who I wish we hadn't given up on, but now I'm okay that we did. Malik Smith. We did. We already discussed what we got from Alex, though. Gohara. Yes. Yeah. So that's that's fair. Yeah. Uh, but Whistler threw a gem, though. Eight yeah. innings think, pitch, think, one hit. I think this was his debut. Whenever he pitches against the Mets, he seems to just own their asses. Yeah. But yeah, if you look at that lineup compared to now, where it's Albie's Acuna. Freeman, Markek is having the season of his life. Kurt Suzuki, he's also having the season of his life. Sixth batter is Flaherty or Camargo. have both been very good so far. Seventh, Swanson. Eighth pitcher, ninth ender. 
I think you take that lineup any day of the fucking week over this one. What about Daniel Castro? You want him back? Oh, yeah. Daniel Castro also pinched in this game. Number 14. Doesn't deserve to wear that, which was Andres Galarraga's number. Uh, so, yeah. We've come a long way. We've come a long way. And you can appreciate it even more knowing that this was your everyday lineup two years ago today. Uh, so, one thing that's still concerning me, Adam, about this Braves team is not who is on the team. That's who is apparently coming to the team, and that would be one Jose Bautista. Okay. Now, I have noticed on our Twitter account in particular that when I am not posting things, you have posted a decent amount, and on the Facebook page, a decent amount of, uh, of hype about Jose Bautista. Can you please tell me where uh, you're getting that from? What have I said? You're just like, oh, get ready to see this guy flipping bats at, at SunTrust Park pretty soon. You like posted that video. Yeah, have you ever, yeah, that's an amazing video. Yeah, that was when was that? Twenty fifteen. Yeah, okay. We had Daniel Castro on the lineup. Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, you, know, you know what? Twenty fifteen was. It was the last year that man was a relevant baseball player. What's your point? My point is is that there have been multiple reports saying that Jose Bautista will be the starting third baseman on this team once he has completed his minor league training. He's hitting over 300 in his last 10 games. Let me tell you a little something about Jose Bautista. I'm going to give you a couple of stats, oh, wow. Adam. This thing goes up. I'll go ahead and sit back. Yeah. So I'm going, to give you, I'm going to give you some stats, Adam, and tell you why we don't need Jose Bautista. I have one slash line here. 203 batting average, 308 on base, 366 slugging, minus 1.7 war, minus 1.4 defensive war. Okay, you hear that? That's pretty bad, right? I already tuned out. Well, you hear that. It's pretty bad. Objectively. Sure. Then you got 299, 331, 452. Worth 1.1 war over only 99 games played. And then he also played pretty good defense. And I ask you, which player do you want? Are you comparing Jose Bautista to Camargo? Yes. Okay. Second guy is Camargo. First guy is Jose Bautista. You absolutely want Johan Camargo starting every day over a guy who hasn't been relevant since 2015, has very little to no pop, as indicated by his feeble slugging percentage, and above all else, is an absolute liability in the field who has only played 327 games at third base all time, which is just over two total seasons worth of games. He hasn't been a regular starter at the hot quarter since 2007 in a season where he made 15 errors, was worth negative 1.8 defensive war. What the fuck makes you think he's going to do better at the ripe age of 37 than he did at the prime age of 26 at a position he has not played regularly since he was 26. Troy Gloss did pretty good when he came back to play third base for us. When he had it played forever. (laughs) But he was... There was still enough in Troy Gloss to indicate that he had something left in the tank in his prior year. Jose Bautista has nothing left. And it's not like we lack for power in this order. We were crushing the ball. We were leading the National League in offense. Well, we didn't know that when we signed him. No, but, you know, it's, it, it upsets me when you have someone who can play the position at full-time in Camargo and can spot start like Flaherty, or hell, Flaherty, you know, run him, at, you know, run him out till he, till he, he really starts to decline. And if you want him as a righty power bat off the bench, I'll accept that because maybe there is some pops left in him. He still hit 23 home runs. He can't, you know, turn your nose up entirely at that. But these reports... Of expecting him to come up here and start every day is the epitome of asinine on the part of Alex Anthopoulos and this organization, if it's true. 
And if anyone expects him to be the Jose Bautista three years ago or better, you're not delusional. You're ignorant because you haven't been paying attention. But I expect the guys who should be what have you been paying attention to actually to? succeed in that. What have area? you been paying attention to? What do you mean? Have I been paying attention? Get to? off your high horse! What have you been like? Paying attention to what? Jose Bautista. You have you watched him? Yes, I watched a shit ton of Blue Jays games because I watched the Orioles. Have you, you go, you've been up in Gwinnett watching him? See how he's looking? He's hitting one seventy nine. No, he's not. He's hitting two hundred. He's hitting over two sixty. Oh, is he? Yes. Oh, yeah, we really want 37-year-old Jose Bautista to take away at bats from Camargo and Flaherty. Sounds like you're not the one paying attention. You wrote this rant like three days ago, probably. You know what? (laughs) (laughs) I don't give a shit what he's doing at Gwinnett. And I don't really... I really care about the large sample size of his play in Major League Baseball last year. It was fucking awful. And more so than that, you expect him to play third base? Are you fucking kidding me? A premium defensive position in the infield? The guy hasn't played it since 2007? It's a win-win situation. We paid a million dollars for him. If it doesn't work out, who cares? Why would you disrupt this team's flow, though? Everything is working beautifully. You bring in this old ass... This is like a move that Copy would have made last year to try and generate more fan interest for a mediocre baseball team, which you are clearly not right now. And Thopolis has a soft spot in his heart for Jose Bautista, and I hope to Christ that if he comes up, he is strictly a pinch hitter or spot starter. He better not be in the everyday lineup. These numbers bear out that he will suck, and he's going to be defensive liability more than anything, and that's dangerous. I agree. It's not necessary, but if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. Here's the other thing to think about. I want to see more Camargo subbing in for Dansby as well. I'm okay with that late-game replacement kind of deal. In which case... You're not necessarily taking away as much time from Camargo if Bautista gets some starts at third. Yeah, I guess. I don't know. I just think it's a dumbass move. And Ryan Flaherty, if you're going making the same argument that you are with Bautista. Oh, sure. He, he could. Ryan Flaherty. The regression is probably coming. Yeah. But I think. So this Camar- is insurance. I guess. But I think Camargo. Proves, I think it's proven enough that he can start every day until he proves he cannot. And there's no indication that he cannot. He's already hit two home runs in like a week. And he's playing good defense, and he's socking the shit out of the ball. And based off what he did last year, he was, he was awesome. So um, I, I just I don't get this, this move at hey, all. If he gets the call up tomorrow for that first game back with Acuna and hits a grand slam... Have have fun with his, his 366 slugging percentage from a power header. I'll, have fun with that. I'll have fun with it. Yeah, have fun with that. Have fun with him making more than 15 errors in a season if he starts at third base. You have a good time. As long as he flips the bat, I'm happy. So if he hits two home runs, hits like 190, makes 12 errors in like three weeks, but he has one bat flip, one it was great, all worth one it. One great video. And we like, lose like eight games because of that, it's all worth it. Yep. You're a fool. I think that completes our Braves coverage for this week. So we have to end on a negative. Unless you want to have anything else you want to say. Bullpen is starting to get a little better. I would agree. I think they've been uh, pretty darn solid. Figured out and the walks thing a little bit. Yeah, walks have gone down. Uh, another, good, another good news is that the, you know, one thing we brought up last week that I was concerned about was those starters not getting deeper in the games. You know, we had three starters in back-to-back-to-back games go to the sixth, seventh, seventh inning. Yep. Which is fantastic. Yep. And um, that's where you want to be, hopefully, sitting on a nightly basis. And so that's saving the bullpen. We don't have to use any of our big guys today. Um, 
yeah, bullpen overall, though, has certainly looked better. Improved. And, and Viz looks like he's much more in control of his pitches, which is nice to see. Big time positive. And on a positive. All right, there we go. All right. Moving on to the, maybe the draft or the Matt Ryan deal. Either one. Let's do uh, Matt Ryan. Okay. So Matt Ryan was officially extended by the Falcons today for five years, $100 million guaranteed at $30 million a year. For all you mathematicians out there. I had to crunch some numbers on that one. That is $100 and, I believe, $50 million for five seasons, if he completes it. Yeah, so much for that hometown discount. Yeah. I think he's now officially the highest-paid player in the league. Probably in Atlanta. Definitely in Atlanta. Highest-paid Atlanta, Atlanta sports player of all time. So what are, your, what are your thoughts on the deal? Are you happy it's done? Are you upset that he is making so much money? Well, how are you feeling? I don't give a shit at this point. I knew it was going to happen. Right. I don't know why I was dragged out so long and possibly tied up money that we could have spent elsewhere. That's one question I have is it's like you get this done the, not even a week after the draft. Actually, no, it is a, literally a week after the first round. Why can't we have gotten this done beforehand so we could have more cap space? I don't know, man. But I guess Arthur Blank's got all that sweet, sweet Atlanta United money now. So yeah, I guess. I'm guessing some of that's going to pay Matty Ice here. Or if we could have gotten something, you know, February and March. I just, I don't know. It sucks that this is the timing, you know, when this could have been done before free agency. Everybody says it's going to be $30 million. Well, it also could have dragged down into, like, training camp or something. Right, so I guess you'd rather get it done now before then, and then all the questions would have been about... When's the deal getting done, Matt? I don't know, guys. Uh, you know, I'm letting uh, Tom handle that part of the business. I think we're really close to uh, getting a good deal done, and I know it's the, the day before the season, but, you know, I, th- I think we're going to get there. Yeah, that's what you've been hearing. So, I don't, I don't know. I'm really, honestly, pretty ambivalent towards it. Like you said, you knew it was going to happen. Uh, I, apparently, the $100 million guaranteed helps us somehow in the salary cap. I'm not sure how the math works there, but that's just what – you know, the pundits are saying. Um, I feel like Hugo had something to say about this. Oh, yeah. Let's, let's, let's hear from uh, good old Hugo and Tucker. So the highest paid quarterback in the NFL would be third string on the Eagles. <laughs> Your thoughts, Graham? I think if you actually want to compare a hot streak and a good second season to a 10-year body of work in the National Football League. It's just downright foolishness. (laughs) And now you can argue, yeah, Nick Foles had a hell of a run. He won the Super Bowl. Matt has no Super Bowl. All right, I'll give you that. But if you were starting a team tomorrow, who would you rather have on your team? Everyone's going to say, oh, Nick Foles, because he won the fucking Super Bowl. You think that shit, you think he's really going to do that for the rest of his career? No fucking way. No. I want a guy like Matt Ryan, who I know I can rely on season in, season out, can take the hits. He's a tough son of a bitch. Who can be an MVP caliber player. Who's definitely the best fucking quarterback we've ever had to be taking snaps every Sunday, not Nick Foles. Well, while we're on frustrating uh, Hugo questions for you, I got one more. I've already had a long day, Adam. <laughs> Here's another one. His question is, are you phasing the Braves out of your podcast since they moved out of Atlanta? <laughs> If if <laughs> if if not, can you please cover the Thrashers' playoff run? It's a fair question. It's a 
fair question. I like it. Um, I'll hang up and let you answer. I'll let you respond to this since you uh, you seem to be the Hugo correspondent. Well, these are all questions for you. I, I, you're the only man capable. Oh, Jesus. Well, <laughs> actually, I'll go ahead and answer this one. Okay, please. Um, yeah, I got nothing. Obviously not, considering we just discussed the Braves for like an hour. Um, also, Hugo, it's time to get out of the past. I know the 90s were a great time for the Braves, um, but this team's coming back, and you should embrace them for what they are. Hey, you know what, Hugo? You moved out of Atlanta, too. You moved to fucking Tucker, so go fuck yourself. <laughs> <laughs> I want to hear you bitching about people moving from Atlanta, because you are technically not in Atlanta anymore, just like the Braves are technically not in the city of Atlanta anymore. That's true. Does Fox Sports South even go all the way out to Tucker? Yeah. How's he even watching? Yeah, well, what are you doing? He's already said he relies on us for everything, all Atlanta sports news, and that he doesn't even know who the Falcons drafted. Yeah. So, I mean, he really is lost in, in Tucker. Yeah, so far away from Atlanta. I guess Fox Sports South doesn't go out there. I guess not. Um, but yeah, and no, we will not cover the Thrashers. Or their playoff run. Or their playoff run. Because we're not hockey guys. Yeah, we're not hockey guys. We're hardly soccer guys. We're not <laughs> even soccer guys. We have, a, we have the best team in the MLS, and we can't Allegedly, find two minutes to talk yeah, about them unless we have Arthur Roach on the show. Yeah, so, um, I mean, if we, if we knew a little more about hockey, then yes, we would 100% talk about the Thrashers. Yes. Okay, I think that right. answers yeah, it. Think that is, yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Hugo. Should we go out but, of the draft since we both don't give a shit about Matt Ryan's deal? Yeah, but I'll just say this last thing that Hugo is just, you know, next time you think about, you know, people moving from Atlanta, just look in the fucking mirror, pal. Uh, yeah, I, I just, just to, to wrap up with Matt. All right, now what happens? What does this mean for us? It means we've got to win a Super Bowl. We've got to win a Super years. Bowl. That is the expectation. You have paid this guy, you know, hundred. you're going to pay him $150 million. We better win a fucking Super Bowl. This is the window, right? This is it. This is Matt's last big deal. He's 33 now. He'll be 38 when this deal is over. You know, if he's able to keep playing like Drew Brees and Tom Brady do into their late 30s or hell 40s, fantastic. But we don't know that. Not everybody can do that. And this is really it for Matt. This window is starting to close the minute he signed this deal. This is fucking it. We must win. And if he doesn't win, I will, you know, I'll hold this contract against him. Because this contract is going to prevent us from getting, you know, probably prevent us from getting uh, an upgrade on the offensive line. It led us to getting a probably serviceable player in Brandon Fusco, but maybe we could have gotten someone better. I don't fucking know. We'll never know because we had to tie up all this money with Matt. So normally I'm a huge Matt Ryan defender, but right now, you know, I got to be like, fucking prove that you can win the Super Bowl then if you're going to command this much money. Hell yeah, brother. Yeah. So challenges, the gauntlet's been laid down, Matt, and you've done it. So now. Go get us a fucking championship, and we'll pull for you all the way. So we love you. But now, now's the time to fucking do it, pal. By the way, full disclosure, um, I've been trying to incorporate a mo- new phrase into my vocabulary, uh-huh. which is, hell yeah, brother. Hell yeah, brother. Wait, you fucking Hulk Hogan from 1974? Hell yeah, brother. <laughs> <laughs> so I've been working on it in this podcast. Ah, yeah. It's the perfect time for it. I thought so. So I appreciate the setup. Yeah, no problem. That's what I, that's what I live for. Just trying to better myself. Yep. Um, yes, let's, let's move into the draft, man. So as you users know, we made a drunk reaction to the Calvin Ridley pick. We were watching at a bar. And that's up, at our, if you missed it, that's up on our Twitter at Atlanta Zone Sports. And 
Adam, we were, you know, sort of undecided. I think we left the way we left things. Well, let's let's fill the Hugos of the world in. Yes. Who did we draft in the first round, Graham? The, the guy we drafted. Yeah, thank you. We got to set the context here. The, the the guy we drafted in the first round, I think, pick twenty six. There's a man named Calvin Ridley. He's a wide receiver. He's a football player. He's a football player, if you will. Yes. Uh, he plays a kid's game for money. And, yes, Calvin Ridley, wide receiver from Alabama. Uh, many think that he is the best receiver in the draft. He's a junior out of Alabama. Um, 6'1", 190. Smaller guy, but hailed as an excellent route runner. This guy who can work in the slot. Yeah. Big time. Uh, hauled in 15-5 catches for 896 yards. 16.3 yards per catch. Only had three touchdowns, but you got to remember who his quarterback was last year, uh, Jalen Hurst. So his, his freshman year, he put up huge numbers with uh, Coker, I believe, was their quarterback yeah. back then. 89 uh, for 1,045 and seven touchdowns. So that, that's why a lot of people are saying that this is one of the steals of the draft, us getting him, because he's coming from an offense that had Jalen Hurts as the quarterback, who was more of a running guy and can't throw that deep ball at all to an offense where he's the third option now with Matt Ryan as his quarterback. Right. So that definitely puts him in a position to succeed. My question is with him. Like I watched, I watched, I think three Alabama games this year. I noticed him. I noticed him as like saying, yeah, maybe he's a receiver in the league. I wasn't, you know, I didn't really look too in depth into him, but when I saw him play and catch the ball and move, you know, he's got the speed, he's got the, you know, you know, especially someone highlighted his route running ability against corners in the SEC, and I was like, okay, good. It's an SEC player, comes from a good program, one you know, obviously the best program in, in the nation. And we need a lot of people didn't really uh, don't really think we. You know, it's like, oh, who cares about the receiving core? We need the the trenches filled, and I would rather have the trenches filled than the receiving core. But I don't want that loser from Florida, though. No, I don't either. I don't know anything about the guy. I just looked at his face. I was like, no. Oh, Taven Bryant. Yeah, I was like, yeah. he's not going to help us. No, he he's was, soft. He wasn't an impact player. The only guy I wanted in the trenches really was Deron Payne, who was also from Alabama. I liked the cut of his jib. He was drafted already, though, wasn't he? He was drafted already, yeah. so there was no option. Yeah. So when I saw that, I was upset. But at the same time, when I really thought about it, I was like, well, our offense just got a hell of a lot better if this kid can play up to his potential and what he's built at. So well, You'll be happy to know that I have an uh, insider source <laughs> at the University of Alabama, uh, Eric from work. Yes who uh, watches a lot of Alabama football. What's his, what's his opinion? I said, Eric, what do you think about this pick, man? And <laughs> uh, he was like, yeah, Ridley's good. Some, some fantastic <laughs> analysis. So. Uh, the, the thing is, though, is that unless Sark has figured out his fucking offense, the pick won't matter. Oh, there, there, there's another kicker. Uh, Sark has worked with Ridley for a couple years. That is true. He, did, he, was, uh, he, was, in the, he was on the Alabama coaching staff. So, or, or this could upset you more because this leads you to believe this was a Sark pick. I don't think Sark has the ability to pick anything. He's, he should name it the ability to wipe his own ass without <laughs> without fucking uh, awful that offense was last year, especially in clutch situations. But I, I like I like the pick. I would have liked to, you know, I really wanted Isaiah win. That was like my number one pick. And when I saw him go to the the Patriots, I was so upset. I know you were. Yeah. And, and we did nothing to solidify the offensive line in this draft. We no. did sign 27 undrafted free agents, though. That's a ton of undrafted free agents. That's like a Mike Smith move right there. Yeah. Um, so the thing with the offensive line, no, we don't need to get into all that now, do we? No, go ahead. Okay. <laughs> so 
What you got to remember is that we did draft a tackle last year, Harlow. Harlow. Yeah. Okay. So this is what Coach Bro likes to do. He liked the same thing with Schweitzer. He let Schweitzer sit for a year. How did that work out? Le- he was fine. He's fine. Fine. That's what that's fine. All this offensive line is. He's not it's a fine. superstar. He's fine. It's fine. We're not willing to utilize early draft picks to help this offensive line. Well, you got to think that this is them knowing themselves and know that they, they can't identify those guards. Like, they know how to draft defenses, damn right. But maybe they can't identify those offensive linemen, so they're going to take what they know. I, I guess. And build the line through free agency, like with... Yeah. Uh, Mac. It's hard to make any really substantial free agent moves when you're paying your quarterback that much money. Well, that's the world we live in. It now, is. Grant. We can't really do anything about it. Yeah. Um, but we'll see. We'll see what happens. I think this definitely. He has the ability to definitely be. I think a better player than Gabriel, not just be confined to the slot. Hopefully, he can put some more muscle on his frame, and you know, be able to play all around the field. I want. I, I really do want to get back to. You know, Julio can line up in the slot. Sanu can line up in the slot. Everyone can line up in the slot. Everyone can line up on the outside. Who gives a shit? Yeah. Um, why not? So I hope he can do that and isn't just a, you know, quote-unquote slot receiver because I think those days of the Wes Welker, um, who was the other white guy, Brandon Stokely, you know, lining up in the in the slot all the time are are done. You do know Calvin Ridley's not a white guy, right? I do. Okay. But I also know there are other, you know, slot receivers, you know, quote-unquote. Like, Gabriel was just strictly a slot receiver. I want to... I want him to be playing all over the field, basically. Got it, got it. So you say yay or nay for this pick overall? I'm okay with it. Yeah, I'm okay with it too. I say I say yay. All right, so let's move on to the second pick. At 58, Thomas and Dan Quinn selected Isaiah Oliver out of Colorado. Uh, this was also a little bit of a head-scratcher for me. So Adam, why don't you try to rationalize this pick? They were drafting best talent on the board, and Dan Quinn loves his big cornerbacks slash safeties, and this is another guy who a lot of people said is first-round talent. Yeah, and you know what? At first I was just like, oh, it's a corner. Why are we drafting a cornerback? And then you think about it. Trufant didn't really play too well last year. And Alford, even though he got a lot better, sometimes you never know what you're going to get with him. Um, Brian Poole is solid, but we could definitely use some more cornerback depth. And this guy... Projects, you know, he has a similar body type uh, to Richard Sherman. And, you know, he projects to be a guy that, you know, Dan Quinn likes to utilize in his defense. And so, even though, once again, I like to have gotten a defensive tackle on our guard, uh, he seems to be a uh, really nice talent overall. So, we'll see how he fits in with this team this year. Yeah, and you don't, just because we have that need doesn't mean, I agree with drafting on the best player available. Like, you don't want to reach I think for a guy, if you could get that guy in the third round, I think there's a there's a balance you can find. I don't think you necessarily have to go like what if the best player available is a quarterback? You're going to draft him. You know what I mean. I'm just saying, right? So I would like to say, what's the best player available for your need that isn't a reach? Like, don't force it, but identify what you need and try to figure out. You know, that's what I would like to see. But what the fuck do I know? Nothing. Yeah, but that was a terrible analysis. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just worried about this fucking team's depth. Finally, though, so Isaiah Oliver, I'm okay with it. I would prefer if we did something else. But if if the talent is really as good as people are saying, and he can be a a really good cover back and hits the shit out of people, I'm totally fine with that. And also, keep in mind, we're a pretty complete team already. I know know we have these couple small holes, but... Yeah, it's not like we have James Stone at center or something like that. Um, No. (laughs) Third uh, round pick at number 90, 
Deidre Sinat at South Florida did address a need, and a lot of people have compared him to sort of a poor man's Grady Jarrett or a young Grady Jarrett. Yeah, which I think the issues there is they're both small. Right. He's only, I think, 6 feet 310. So we don't really have that space eater like a Don Terry Poe or for you old Falcons fans fans out there, Greg Jackson. Oh, yeah. Big 380 coming in there on on first down. Just a big tub of lard. Yeah. Um, This guy's strong as all get out. He did 225 like 33 times or something. mm -hmm. So I can't remember which guy on 680 or maybe one of the... One of the uh, radio stations. Right, one of those stations are so much better just, than we are. Right? Just kept saying over and over again, I don't know. I don't care how big he is. All I know is if you can throw up 225, 32 times, then you're, you could take your arms and push the person man. in front of you and make them fall back. Sure. And, uh, you know, he, he seems to fit into the uh, prototypical mold of a Dan Quinn scheme on the defensive line. Fast guys, quick guys, not necessarily massive guys who are going to slow you down. So I like this pick. It fulfills something that we need, and hopefully he can grow into that starting role. It's going to be a lot to ask from him. But um, I like what I've seen so far on the, on the tape. You know, he seems really quick and explosive off the ball, hits hard, wraps up, you know, all your generic things that you like to see. Uh, no, For I've, the highlight reel. Yeah, I've liked it. So I can't argue with this pick. Uh, fourth round, we got a running back. Ido Smith from Southern Mississippi, who really, whatever conference they're in, I know he tore it up. He had like 1,400 rushing yards, something like that, 13 touchdowns. Um, super shifty guy, really fast. Uh, and supposedly the heir apparent to whoever the last man standing is in the Falcons' backfield, either Tevin Coleman or supposedly Devontae Freeman because of his extension. But I guess we'll see. Yeah, he'll be Devontae's backup next year. Some of them, you know, Maybe. Devontae can survive. From his concussions? Concussions, his knees. He's starting to break down, man. I'm telling you, the, the end is closer than the beginning. I wonder if, so this man might factor in a little more than you think he will. Yep. Some people say he was a reach. Oh, so? Thought he would have been there in like the sixth or seventh round. Really? Yeah. Really? Yeah. yeah, I don't really know anything about him, but that's that's kind of disheartening to hear. Uh I don't really know anything about him. I just know we need a running back. Hopefully he can fill the void of whoever winds up leaving the team, um, either Coleman or Freeman. And before everyone goes like, oh, you know, like you, saying, oh, it'll definitely be Devontae. I, I still think Devontae's breaking down. And I think Tevin's got fresher legs, less miles, and has a brighter future in the league than Devontae. So I would – Devontae has more – still has guaranteed money. Exactly. But the NFL, you can move on a little easier than you can in, say, baseball if you need to. So we'll see how it plays out. And a lot of people really wanted to trade Tevin Coleman in the, in, during the draft, which I'm glad we did not. Normally you do want to get something for a guy uh, when he's getting ready to leave. But we're trying to win a Super Bowl. Exactly, exactly. I like your way of thinking, Adam. That's what I'm thinking, too. Thanks, Graham. Tevin can only help. Can, um, only, can only play for the future so many years. Exactly. And so fifth round, there wasn't a pick because we traded that pick for Ty Sambrelio, who sucks. So instead, <laughs> we, uh, I think, got two picks in the sixth round. One was Russell Gage out of LSU, uh, who was a receiver at LSU. And a lot of people are saying he's an impact special teams player um, who could potentially be a kick returner or a gunner or yeah. maybe both. Coach Bro's all over this guy. He's very excited about him. Says the people of Atlanta are going to love him. Oh, really? We're going to love him, Graham. Not good. So we got that going for us. We're going to love him. 
Okay, yeah, I know nothing about this guy either, but uh, we definitely need special teams Ooh, help. It means Andre Roberts is gone. Yeah, Andre Roberts is gone. Oh, he already is gone. Sound with the Jets. Yeah, I mean he's been gone for a while. So but, I'm, I'm regardless. Glad. Yeah, and you know if we can have someone who comes in from the draft who's not necessarily focused on making the receiving core or playing any other positions, like hey kid, your special teams guy right now. All you need to worry about is returning kicks and being a gunner. I'm totally cool with that. Because then he can just focus on that and whole ass one thing as opposed to trying to half ass yep. a bunch of things. So I'm fine with that pick. And then also in the sixth round, we took a guy from a young gentleman from Yale. Wait, I'll, I'll give it a go. Okay, yeah, go for it. We took Foysade Olukan, linebacker, Yale. Yeah. That was good. You should read uh, our first pick next year, or uh, our sixth round pick next year. Uh, don't know anything about this guy. <laughs> <laughs> smart. And let's move on. Obviously. Yeah, probably pretty smart. What's he got? Uh, Going to be a special teamer. Yeah. Or not make the team. Yeah. And that is the entire Falcons uh, 2018 NFL draft. Recap once again that's Calvin Ridley at wide receiver, Isaiah Oliver, cornerback. DeAndre Sinat from South Florida, Edo Smith running back from Southern Miss, Russell Gage wide receiver from LSU, and our young gentle friend from Yale, Foisade Olukun. Yes. Yes. Well done. So, overall, I mean, I know we don't know a lot about any of these guys really, but... But Dan Quinn and Dimitrov have a good track record together, so we we just got to trust them. Yeah, you have to at this point because... I mean, you're exactly right. I mean, one of the reasons that our window might be closing a little bit, a little sooner than we'd like it to, is because they've hit so well in the draft that you're going to have to make decisions on who you're going to pay. And you got to hope that these guys also translate into uh, into stars like, you know, your Deion Joneses of the world, like your Grady Jarrett's. And they've proven that they can go out to the later rounds and find bona fide stars and guys like Grady who was a fifth-round pick, who's now one of the top five defensive tackles in the league. So I'm not saying one of these guys is going to be that, but you got to have faith in that they're good enough talent on the alligators. Get us someone to fill the f- shoes of these other guys, because if anything now as well, Matt Ryan's has set the precedent that we're not going to take hometown discounts in this town. Right, exactly. And so go and get you some money. Maybe it's also a fuck you to Matt for wanting so much money that they didn't draft him a uh, offensive lineman. Yeah. <laughs> That'll show him. Uh... Which I think is also kind of interesting. But we'll see. We'll see how it goes. You know what that, that says to me? That they didn't draft an offensive lineman? That they like the guys they have. Fuck it. Yeah. They're rolling with it. Yeah. They got another, what you think. That's what they think. Another year of experience under it. Yep. So I think that wraps up our, our Falcons coverage. Anything else you want to you wanna add there? No, that covers it. I'm too tired to talk about Atlanta United at this point. <laughs> They're kicking ass. They're taking names. They still have only lost one game. They crushed Montreal 4-1. to I watched the second half. And uh, it was just like an offensive onslaught the whole game. Like that, that whole half, um, Montreal could not get the ball on our side of the field. And we were just – I mean, we could have scored six goals or something, maybe even more, uh, with how often the ball was on their side of the field. I mean, it was just incredible. Every time you looked up from uh, – every time I looked up from my chicken tacos at 16 under, I was like, God damn, we're about to score again. I hear we got some dude who's really freaking good at free kicks. 
Yes. He could bend it in there over the goalie. Yeah. Was was he the guy who, who did the free kicks in the game? Yeah, the guy was really good at the free yeah, kicks. Yeah, he was excellent. Yeah. He scored two goals on free kicks. Yeah. I don't know if he scored both of them. He's off the bench. Yeah, but there was one uh, one of the goals in particular. It looked like the ball was going straight, and at the last, I don't know, maybe 10 feet, it just hooked left really hard, and the, the goalie had already started to dive right and just looked fucking silly. Um, yeah, I think they call that bending it like Beckham. Bending it like, but yeah, he bent the shit out of that ball. I mean, that was, that was awesome. Um, but yeah, this team's on fire. And I think overall... If you're an Atlanta sports fan, you got to love being alive right now. How many people are out there cringing, listening to us, try to try to do analyze a, that? Well, not even that. Just try to do a uh, sports podcast show. Right. Yeah. You know, oh, it's oh, probably a lot. Unfair. Unfair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, especially on the soccer stuff and the draft stuff. I mean, honestly, guys we, and girls, we don't really uh, know enough to really give you great analysis on the draft, but we, we have to at least have some sort of feeling about it. So we like, like we said, yeah. we strictly follow Atlanta. professional Atlanta sports. Yes, and these guys are not... They're now officially Atlanta professional sports athletes. Yeah, once we see them in training camp, then we'll have some great analysis for you. Right. Until then... We just got to go with whatever Eric says. Yeah, exactly. And until then, you know, all we got are hype videos. They're only going to show you the best things that you can possibly see. So how are you supposed to evaluate talent at this point unless you're a fucking scout or you're a fan of the team? Yeah. And we know nothing about any of these fucking teams. And anyone who acts like they do know a lot about Foysade Alucon must have been the head coach for Yale. Right. You know? Yeah. Or is a goddamn alumnus. And if he's an alumnus, why would he give a shit about football? Yeah. And yeah. clearly, we did not go to Yale, Graham. No. If anyone thinks we went to Yale, they're... Uh, they didn't go to Yale either. They didn't go to Yale either. Yeah. Well said. Well... Friend, I think that wraps up another episode of Atlanta Zone. We want to thank you all for listening wherever and uh, whenever you listen to this episode. We really appreciate it. And remember, rise up, chop on, stay in brotherhood, unite and conquer, and remain true to Atlanta. Hospitality soup. Hospitality soup.